Good day, my friends, and welcome to November 11th. Now, here in Canada, where I'm recording this, November 11th is a day where we remember those men and women who have, over the years, fought and died for our freedoms that we have in this country. We can't be thankful enough to those hundreds of thousands, even millions of people who have served to protect our country's freedoms. And one of those freedoms, of course, is being able to read our Bible and to share the Word of God. So today we're on day 313 of Bible in a Year with Bill. Today we're going to be continuing in the book of John, chapters 4 to 6, and then we're going to finish off today's reading with Psalm 137. So let's get right into it with the book of John, chapter 4. Actually, I forgive me for the background noise here. It's just it's unavoidable right now with the location that I'm reading this from. So anyway, John Chapter 4. Jesus realized that the Pharisees were keeping count of the baptisms that he and John performed, although his disciples, not Jesus, did the actual baptizing. They had posted the score that Jesus was ahead, turning him and John into rivals in the eyes of the people. So Jesus left the Judean countryside and went back to Galilee. To get there, he had to pass through Samaria. He came into Sychar, a Samaritan village that bordered the field Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was still there. Jesus, worn out by the trip, sat down at the well. It was noon. A woman, a Samaritan, came to draw water. Jesus said, Would you give me a drink of water? His disciples had gone to the village to buy food for lunch. The Samaritan woman, taken aback, asked, How come you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Jews in those days couldn't, wouldn't be caught dead talking to Samaritans. Jesus answered, If you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you would be asking me for a drink, and I would give you fresh living water. The woman said, Sir, you don't even have a bucket to draw with, and this well is deep. So how are you going to get this living water? Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well and drank from it, he and his sons and livestock, and passed it down to us? Jesus said, Everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again and again. Anyone who drinks the water I give will never thirst, not ever. The water I give will be an artesian spring within, gushing fountains of endless life. The woman said, Sir, give me this water so I won't ever get thirsty, won't ever have to come back to this well again. He said, Go call your husband and then come back. I have no husband, she said. That's nicely put, I have no husband. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now isn't even your husband. You spoke the truth there, sure enough. Oh, so you're a prophet. Well, tell me this. Our ancestors worshipped God at this mountain, but you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place for worship, right? Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you Samaritans will worship the Father neither here at this mountain nor there in Jerusalem. You worship guessing in the dark. We Jews worship in the clear light of day. God's way of salvation is made available through the Jews. But the time is coming. It has, in fact, come when what you're called will not matter and where you go to worship will not matter. 
It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for, those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being itself. Spirit. Those who worship him must do it out of the very their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. The woman said, I don't know about that. I do know that the Messiah is coming. When he arrives, we'll get the whole story. I am he, said Jesus. You don't have to wait any longer or look any further. Just then his disciples came back. Disciples came back. They were shocked. They couldn't believe he was talking with that kind of a woman. No one said what they were all thinking, but their faces showed it. The woman took the hint and left. In her confusion, she left her water pot. Back in the village, she told the people, Come see a man who knew all about the things I did, who knows me inside and out. Do you think this could be the Messiah? And they went out to see for themselves. In the meantime, the disciples pressed him, Rabbi, eat. Aren't you going to eat? He told them, I have food to eat you know nothing about. The disciples were puzzled. Who could have brought him food? Jesus said, The food that keeps me going is that I do the will of the one who sent me, finishing the work he started. As you look around right now, wouldn't you say that in about four months it will be time to harvest? Well, I'm telling you to open your eyes and take a good look at what's right in front of you. These Samaritan fields are ripe. It's harvest time. The harvester isn't waiting. He's taking his pay, gathering gathering in this grain that's ripe for eternal life. Now the sower is arm in arm with the harvester, triumphant. That's the truth of the saying, this one sows, that one harvests. I sent you to harvest a field you never worked. Without lifting a finger, you have walked in on a field worked long and hard by others. Many of the Samaritans from that village committed themselves to him because of the woman's witness. He knew all about the things I did. He knows me inside and out. They asked him to stay on, so Jesus stayed two days. A lot more people entrusted their lives to him when they heard what he had to say. They said to the woman, We're no longer taking this on your say-so. We've heard it for ourselves and know it for sure. He's the Savior of the world. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus knew well from experience that a prophet is not respected in the place where he grew up. So when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, but only because they were impressed with what he had done in Jerusalem during the Passover feast, not that they really had a clue about who he was or what he was up to. Now he was back in Cana of Galilee, the place where he made the water into wine. Meanwhile in Capernaum, there was a certain official from the king's court whose son was sick. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and asked that he come down and heal his son who was on the brink of death. Jesus put him off. Unless you people are dazzled by a miracle, you refuse to believe. But the court official wouldn't be put off. Come down, it's life or death for my son. Jesus simply replied, Go home, your son lives. The man believed the bare word Jesus spoke and headed home. On his way back, his servants intercepted him and announced, Your son lives! He asked them what time he began to get better. They said the fever broke yesterday afternoon at one o'clock. The father knew that that was the very moment Jesus had said, Your son lives. That clinched it. Not only he, but his entire household believed. This was now the second sign Jesus gave after having come home from Judea into Galilee.
John chapter 5 Soon another feast came around, and Jesus was back in Jerusalem. Near the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem there was a pool, in Hebrew called Bethesda, with five alcoves. Hundreds of sick people, blind, crippled, paralyzed, were in these alcoves. One man had been an invalid there for thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him stretched out by the pool and knew how long he had been there, he said, Do you want to get well? The sick man said, Sir, when the water is stirred, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool. By the time I get there, somebody else is already in. Jesus said, Get up, take your bedroll, start walking. The man was healed on the spot. He picked up his bedroll and walked off. That day happened to be the Sabbath. The Jews stopped the healed man and said, It's the Sabbath. You can't carry your bedroll around. It's against the rules. But he told them, The man who made me well told me to. He said, Take your bedroll and start walking. They asked, Who gave you the order to take it up and start walking? But the healed man didn't know, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd. A little later, Jesus found him in the temple and said, You look wonderful. You're well. Don't return to a sinning life or something worse might happen. The man went back and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. That is why the Jews were out to get Jesus, because he did this kind of thing on the Sabbath. But Jesus defended himself. My father is working straight through, even on the Sabbath. So am I. That really set them off. The Jews were now not only out to expose him, they were out to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, putting himself on a level with God. So Jesus explained himself at length. I'm telling you this straight. The son can't independently do a thing, only what he sees the father doing. What the father does, the son does. The father loves the son and includes him in everything he is doing. But you haven't seen the half of it yet, for in the same way that the father raises the dead and creates life, so does the son. The son gives life to anyone he chooses. Neither he nor the father shuts anyone out. The father handed all authority to judge over to the son so that the son will be honored equally with the father. Anyone who dishonors the son dishonors the father, for it was the father's decision to put the son in the place of honor. It's urgent that you listen carefully to this. Anyone here who believes what I am saying right now and aligns himself with the Father, who has in fact put me in charge, has at this very moment the real, lasting life and is no longer condemned to be an outsider. This person has taken a giant step from the world of the dead to the world of the living. It's urgent that you get this right. The time has arrived, I mean right now, when dead men and women will hear the voice of the Son of God and hearing will come alive. Just as the Father has life in himself, he has conferred on the Son life in himself. And he has given him the authority, simply because he is the Son of Man, to decide and carry out matters of judgment. Don't act so surprised at all this. The time is coming when everyone dead and buried will hear his voice. Those who have lived the right way will walk out into a resurrection life. Those who have lived the wrong way into a resurrection judgment. I can't do a solitary thing on my own. I listen, then I decide. You can trust my decision because I'm not out to get my own way, but only to carry out orders. If I were simply speaking on my own account, it would be an empty, self-serving witness. But an independent witness confirms me, the most reliable witness of all. 
Furthermore, you all saw and heard John, and he gave expert and reliable testimony, testimony about me. Didn't he? But my purpose is not to get your vote, and not to appeal to mere human testimony. I'm speaking to you this way so that you will be saved. John was a torch, blazing and bright, and you were glad enough to dance for an hour or so in his bright light. But the witness that really confirms me far exceeds John's witness. It's the work the Father gave me to complete. These very tasks, as I go about completing them, confirm that the Father, in fact, sent me. The Father who sent me confirmed me, and you missed it. You never heard his voice. You never saw his appearance. There is nothing left in your memory of his message because you do not take his messenger seriously. You have your heads in your Bibles constantly because you think you'll find eternal life there, but you miss the forest for the trees. These scriptures are all about me, and here I am standing right before you, and you aren't willing to receive from me the life you say you want. I'm not interested in crowd approval, and do you know why? Because I know you and your crowds. I know that love, especially God's love, is not on your working agenda. I came with the authority of my Father, and you either dismiss me or avoid me. If another came, acting self-important, you would welcome him with open arms. How do you expect to get anywhere with God when you spend all your time jockeying for position with each other, ranking your rivals and ignoring God? But don't think I'm going to accuse you before my Father, Moses, in whom you put so much stock, is your accuser. If you believed, really believed, what Moses said, you would believe me. He wrote of me. If you, wouldn't take, if you won't take seriously what he wrote, how can I expect you to take seriously what I speak? John, chapter 6. After this, Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee, some call it Tiberias. A huge crowd followed him, attracted by the miracles that had, they had seen him do among the sick. When he got to the other side, he climbed a hill and sat down, surrounded by his disciples. It was nearly time for the Feast of Passover, kept annually by the Jews. When Jesus looked out and saw that a large crowd had arrived, he said to Philip, Where can we buy bread to feed these people? He said this to stretch Philip's faith. He already knew what he was going to do. Philip answered, Two hundred silver pieces wouldn't be enough to buy bread for each person to get a piece. One of the disciples, it was Andrew, brother to Simon Peter, said, There's a little boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but that's a drop in the bucket for a crowd like this. Jesus said, Make the people sit down. There was a nice carpet of green grass in this place. They sat down, about five thousand of them. Then Jesus took the bread, and having given thanks, gave it to those who were seated. He did the same with the fish. All ate as much as they wanted. When the people had eaten their fill, he said to his disciples, Gather the leftovers so nothing is wasted. They went to work and filled twelve large baskets with leftovers from the five barley loaves. The people realized that God was at work among them in what Jesus had just done. They said, This is the prophet for sure, God's prophet right here in Galilee. Jesus saw that in their enthusiasm they were about to grab him and make him king. So he slipped off and went back up the mountain to be by himself. In the evening his disciples went down to the sea, got in the boat, and headed back across the water to Capernaum. 
It had grown quite dark, and Jesus had not yet returned. A huge wind blew up, churning the sea. They were maybe three or four miles out when they saw Jesus walking on the sea quite near the boat. They were scared senseless, but he reassured them, It's me! It's all right! Don't be afraid! So they took him on board. In no time they reached land, the exact spot where they were headed to. The next day, the crowd that was left behind realized that there had only been one boat, and that Jesus had not gotten into it with his disciples. They had seen them go off without him. By now, boats from Tiberias had pulled up near where they had eaten the bread blessed by the master. So when the crowd realized he was gone and wasn't coming back, they piled into the Tiberias boats and headed for Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him back across the sea, they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, You've come looking for me, not because you saw God in my actions, but because I fed you, filled your stomachs, and for free. Don't waste your energy striving for perishable food like that. Work for the food that sticks with you, food that nourishes your lasting life, food the Son of Man provides. He and what he does are guaranteed by God the Father to last. To that they said, Well, what do we do then to get in on God's works? Jesus said, throw your lot in with the one that God has sent. That kind of commitment gets you in on God's works. They waffled. Why don't you give us a clue about who you are, just a hint of what's going on? When we see what's up, we'll commit ourselves. Show us what you can do. Moses fed our ancestors with bread in the desert. It says so in the scriptures. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus responded, The real significance of that scripture is not that Moses gave you bread from heaven, but that my Father is right now offering you bread from heaven, the real bread. The bread of God came down out of heaven and is giving life to the world. They jumped at that. Master, give us this bread now and forever. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. The person who aligns with me hungers no more and thirsts no more ever. I have told you this explicitly because even though you have seen me in action, you don't really believe me. Every person the Father gives me eventually comes running to me, and once that person is with me, I hold on and I don't let go. I came down from heaven not to follow my own whim, but to accomplish the will of the one who sent me. This, in a nutshell, is that will, that everything handed over to me by the Father be completed, not a single detail missed, and at the wrap-up of time, I have everything and everyone put together, upright and whole. This is what my Father wants, that anyone who sees the Son and trusts who He is and what He does and then aligns with Him will enter real life, eternal life. My part is to put them on their feet alive and whole at the completion of time. At this, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven, the Jews started arguing over him. Isn't this the son of Joseph? Don't we know his father? Don't we know his mother? How can he now say, I came down out of heaven and expect anyone to believe him? Jesus said, Don't bicker among yourselves over me. You're not in charge here. The Father who sent me is in charge. He draws people to me. That's the only way you'll ever come. Only then do I do my work, putting people together, setting them on their feet, ready for the end. This is what the prophets meant when they wrote, and then they will all be personally taught by God. Anyone who has spent any time at all listening to the Father, really listening and therefore learning, comes to me 
to be taught personally, to see it with his own eyes, hear it with his own ears from me, since I have it firsthand from the Father. No one has seen the Father except the one who has his being alongside the Father, and you can see me. I'm telling you the most solemn and sober truth now. Whoever believes in me has real life, eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna bread in the desert and died. But now here is the bread that truly comes down out of heaven. Anyone eating this bread will not die, ever. I am the bread, living bread, who came down out of heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live and forever. The bread that I present to the world so that it can eat and live is myself, this flesh and blood self. At this, the Jews started fighting among themselves. How can this man serve up his flesh for a meal? But Jesus didn't give an inch. Only insofar as you eat and drink flesh and blood, the flesh and blood of the Son of Man, do you have life within you. The one who brings a hearty appetite to this eating and drinking has eternal life and will be fit and ready for the final day. My flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. By eating my flesh and drinking my blood, you enter into me and I into you. In the same way that the fully alive Father sent me here and I live because of him, so that the one who makes a meal of me lives because of me. This is the bread from heaven. Your ancestors ate bread and later died. Whoever eats this bread will live always. He said these things while teaching in the meeting place in Capernaum. Many among his disciples heard this and said, This is tough teaching, too tough to swallow. Jesus sensed that his disciples were having a hard time with this and said, Does this throw you completely? What would happen if you saw the Son of Man ascending to where he came from? The Spirit can make life. Sheer muscle and willpower don't make anything happen. Every word I've spoken to you is a spirit word, and so it is life-making. But some of you are resisting, refusing to have any part in this. Jesus knew from the start that some weren't going to risk themselves with him. He knew also who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you earlier that no one is capable of coming to me on his own. You get to me only as a gift from the Father. After this, a lot of his disciples left. They no longer wanted to be associated with him. Then Jesus gave the twelve their chance. Do you also want to leave? Peter replied, Master, to whom would we go? You have the words of real life, eternal life. We've already committed ourselves, confident that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus responded, Haven't I handpicked you, the twelve? Still one of you is a devil. He was referring to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. This man, one from the twelve, was even then getting ready to betray him. Now let's finish today's reading with Psalm 137. Alongside Babylon's rivers we sat on the banks. We cried and cried, remembering the good old days in Zion. Alongside the quaking aspens, we stacked our unplayed harps. That's where our captors demanded songs, sarcastic and mocking. Sing us a happy Zion song. Oh, how could we ever sing God's song in this wasteland? If I ever forget you, Jerusalem, let my fingers wither and fall off like leaves. Let my tongue swell and turn black if I fail to remember you. If I fail, oh dear Jerusalem, to honor you as my greatest. God, remember those Edomites, and remember the ruin of Jerusalem. That day they yelled out, Wreck it! Smash it to bits! 
And you, Babylonians, ravagers, a reward to whoever gets back at you for all you've done to us. Yes, a reward to the one who grabs your babies and smashes their heads on the rocks. Wow. So, Lord, I pray that you would bless this reading today. Thank you, Lord, for this reading. And thank you, my friends, for joining me again today. You know, we've come a long way on this journey through the message. And to be perfectly honest with you, my friends, I would rather read a different version. I'd rather read an actual version of the Word of God. I find sometimes the message is just a little bit too informal, if you will. But that's just my opinion. Tell me what you think. Feel free to drop me a line. My email is bibleinayearwithbill at gmail.com. Remember to type that carefully. There's a lot of letters there. I can also be reached at um, Bible in a Year with Bill on Facebook. So you can get a hold of me there as well. Tell me what you think of this. Should I continue in the message next year, in the new year, or should I go? I'm actually leaning towards doing the New Living Translation next year and also doing a different schedule so that there aren't any of these days, days of, of uh, reflection. So, so yeah, let me know what you think. I'll see you tomorrow. Take care now.